0: Yarrr! Welcome to Andymatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace and legally acquired episodes of Star Trek, hosted by Annika and Liz. This week we're discussing Star Trek Prodigy Episode 5 Terra Firma and Star Trek Discovery Season 4 Premiere Kobayashi Maru. Because in your face, Paramount Plus. (sighs) Oh dear,
1: Paramount Plus. Could you have handled this any worse?
0: If you weren't paying attention, and if you listen to us, I assume that you're fairly up on the social medias. But two days before season four of Discovery was to air, Paramount announced that it would not be hitting. Netflix in the territories outside the US and Canada, and indeed the whole of Discovery would be removed from Netflix. Immediately. Yes, like a day later. (laughs) And the rest of us plebs in the other 190 countries would get Discovery sometime in 2022. Maybe. Needless to say, we were displeased. It's a mess. It's a mess. It just seems so poorly handled. (laughs) I think we all assumed that at some point it would go over to Paramount Plus and we'd all have to sign up. And yes, there'd be grumbling and whatever, but we assumed that it would be a smooth transition announced in advance with even a little bit of warning. The fact that just last weekend the cast were in the UK promoting (laughs) the premiere that is no longer available in the UK, it's just a schmuzzle.
1: It it makes no sense to me.
0: Yeah. No sense.
1: And I mean, of course, I get it, they didn't want to announce it during or before that con, because then that con would just be about that. But also, that is really shady.
0: What I'm hearing is that the announcement came literally hours after negotiations finally ended. The word is that Netflix really wanted to keep Discovery, they wanted a six-month renewal, and Paramount took its toys and went home. So, yeah,
1: that's nice. None of that makes sense to me. I mean, I knew it was about money, and that it was about the two companies just not being able to negotiate because (laughs) neither of them wanted to miss out on dollar Mm. bills, or I guess... euros (laughs) okay pounds yeah (laughs) whatever money but if it's really that close and they couldn't just shake hands like even sony and disney eventually shook hands and said you can put spider-man in your movies it's just bad it's just bad all around it's not about star trek it's not about the fans or the fandom.
0: Paramount seems bad at capitalism. And going back to the early 2000s and the heyday of CSI or the Avatar finale, they're really bad at understanding that when it comes to the internet, national boundaries are kind of fake. I recall that they withheld or postponed the Avatar series finale in the US, but then they aired all four episodes in Canada. So the Americans just torrented (laughs) The Avatar episodes. We have this whole generation of viewers who basically never needed to learn how to pirate. They've just been introduced to the wonderful world of BitTorrent and illegal streams. All of these things that Netflix had rendered obsolete are suddenly back. So well done, Paramount. You are bad at capitalism. Who in those territories is going to want to sign up
1: to see something that they've already stolen Mm. because that was the only way to be on time, you know, to be like watching it as it was being released.
0: Don't get me wrong, I don't like that I'm pirating television. I am going to buy the physical (laughs) media when it comes out. I may one day sign up to Paramount Plus again. But in one stroke they've alienated their hardcore fans and made it much more difficult for casual viewers to… Right start watching i I realize that a lot of this is stuff that american fans have been saying about cbs all access and paramount plus all along and maybe i was a little bit too smug in going oh but the rest of the world has netflix but yeah in conclusion keep investing in physical media because you never know when your favorite thing might leave the most convenient streaming service in the world
1: in conclusion destroy (laughs)
0: capitalism That, too. That, too.
1: That's where I'm at. I don't want all of that physical stuff. No, that's fair. I have purchased one Blu-ray in... The last three years, Mm. I would say.
0: I had actually started purchasing albums for my favorite artists purely because I know what they get from Spotify is so Mm -hmm. little. And so I figured Mm -hmm. I'm still going to use Spotify, but at least I can give them this extra money and, you know, a nice CD or even a record is Mm -hmm. something attractive that will look good on my bookshelf.
1: Let's move on to the actual shows. Yes. You you can have the last, uh, you can have the last last
0: laugh. My brother, who became a Trekkie a week after I did, this whole thing has left him so soured on the franchise that he's decided, actually, I'm going to put my fanish feelings in storage for a few years and come back to it later. Which, A, I think is brilliant. If a fandom no longer sparks joy for you, you don't have to force yourself to watch it and participate. You can go and do Mm -hmm. something else for a while and come back when you're ready. But, B, I'm going to miss having my Star Trek bro. And... I'm kind of sad, you know, he stuck with this dumb franchise through Enterprise when I didn't. (laughs) Look what you've done, Paramount. You've torn my family apart. It's also the opposite of what Paramount (laughs) would
1: want. Instead of having two subscribers, now they have zero subscribers in your family. Yeah.
0: I think the other thing that sucks is that a lot of the blowback is on the creators who had nothing to do with this, and indeed in both The Prodigy and Discovery End are trying to tell a really good story. So let's talk about those. Yes. Because
1: we should celebrate the art. Yes. Because it's celebratory.
0: I should say, it turns out that having two Star Treks in 24 hours is actually really bad for me. Because I watched Discovery and I went to bed with a lot of feelings and I slept badly because I had a lot of feelings. And then I woke up and I watched Prodigy on the train and I was like, oh, this is nice. I love these children. I need a nap. And, and <laughs> <laughs> whereas you have all of these notes and I'm like, oh, yeah, stuff happened. That's great. <laughs> I watched
1: CSI Las Vegas before <laughs> either Prodigy or Discovery. I was so angry at Star Trek that I just went back to CSI. (laughs) And then I watched Prodigy because I was less angry at Prodigy Mm -hmm. and because Prodigy just makes me happy. Prodigy really just fills me with this little Star Trek glow. Yeah. And then I watched Discovery and I struggled. I struggled with that episode.
0: I actually wondered. Because your feelings about Discovery sort of matched my reaction to Prodigy if you had watched Prodigy first and Discovery second while I was the other way around. Mm-hmm. Too much Star Trek, guys.
1: Too much Star Trek. And it, in fairness, I rewatched Discovery today and I liked it a lot more. Good. With rest. Yes. With sleep, And also, I often like things better the second time around, mm-hmm. things that I love, because I'm not anticipating anything, I'm not scared, <laughs> I'm the person who likes spoilers. You can enjoy the ride knowing what the destination is. Right, yes. So I think that helped as well because my biggest issue was
0: that I felt emotionally manipulated the first time. Yes. And that is indeed what a piece of television is setting out to do. It wants you to feel things. But if you're not in the mood to go along on that ride, then it's just like, why are you doing this to me? Stop. Please.
1: Yeah, it was a very weird feeling. And so I think you're right about too much Star Trek and too much drama. Yeah, and that if you space things out and you calm down and you watch things with a, a
0: clear mind, it works out better. It's impressive that for the first time since 1999 we had two new new episodes of Star Trek in the same week. and just like in 1999, mm. everyone was like, no, no, too much, stop, too much Star Trek. I really did enjoy Prodigy, though. I didn't have a strong reaction to it because I was tired, but I enjoyed it and I enjoyed how thoroughly wrong I was as usual about how events would play (laughs) out. I'm sorry, I thought that they would string us out a bit longer before Gwyn found out that her father did not care about her. It did feel a little
1: rushed, Mm. but I chalked it up to a children's programming And B, they did do this weird scheduling, if it was a cliffhanger, and it wasn't coming back until next year, I'd be a little upset. I would be like, no, come on guys.
0: I wondered if it would actually be too traumatic for the young viewers to have this little five-episode set end with the kids back where they started. Yeah. But it did feel quick
1: for that switch to happen, and I'm not faulting it. But I think that it did sort of take me like, ooh, like there was this, I don't know, again, this weird feeling that that Mm. I was having that was like, maybe this is wrong, but it's not. I've decided. I've landed on the side of it was good for this particular media.
0: No, I agree. I think this is not a show with space to waste time and mm. it moves along mm-hmm. with a fast clip. And to be honest, once again, the only bit where I was kind of like, really, Is Wessel, are we still here? <laughs> was with Murder Planet trying to murder them. And I was like, come on guys, just get back to the ship and get on with the story. But again, that's me.
1: <laughs> well, it's because Murder Planet stopped being a mystery. It just became an obstacle. It no longer had a story, there was no purpose to Murder Planet other than we have to escape it.
0: Yes, and I I do think that if this had been a full-length episode of Star Trek for Adults, Murder Planet would have had intentions other than just murder, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the B-plot of Gwyn's father had to take priority here, so it had to be simplified, and I respect that choice, I don't think it was a bad choice. But I enjoyed the moving scenery. I loved the interlude in the Klingon ship and Gwyn and Dahl realising that they could navigate by the stars. But yes. mostly what I loved this episode for was the character stuff.
1: Right. The same as last week. It was the, yeah. this is all about character, because it's still the fifth episode. It's still the beginning. And we, we need to establish all of these characters and what they want and what they don't want and where they're mm. going. The one thing about the intentions of the murder planet that I did find interesting is that if I'm reading the episode correctly, and I could be wrong because it was a little weird at the end, but my understanding was that the ship that her dad shows over her was fake. Yes. It was a, an illusion, a, a murder planet illusion.
0: Yes, it which was Vines. sort of
1: means that... Murder Planet is kind of on Gwyn's side. Like, Murder Planet did Gwyn a solid. I think that's interesting. Like, obviously it was just because that's what he wanted most. Like, that's the whole gimmick of Murder Planet. But it was interesting to me to think about why did Murder Planet help Gwyn break
0: free from her dad? I think Murder Planet just wanted to keep every single person it could, including Gwyn and her dad. But I find it interesting, and I think this is very telling about our Diviner, that the planet didn't need to give him an illusion of Gwyn freeing herself and coming with him to persuade him to enter its trap. All it had to do was give him the ship. Also, the bit where we think the Diviner is entering the protostar and Janeway is looking at the person entering and it turns out to be Dahl, I straight up thought that the planet was giving Janeway an illusion, despite her being a hologram.
1: Right? It was a little confusing, but I also loved that entrance. Yes. It was beautiful. The colouring and the lighting effects. So great. Really good.
0: (laughs) No, this is such a stupidly beautiful show, and I really do love this trio we're getting of Dahl and Gwyn and Janeway. Yes. So I love Janeway by herself,
1: talking to herself, and when she said, what would the real Janeway do? I know! So good. It was the first thing that happened that really made me believe that the creators of the show agree with us that That, she has to be different from actual Janeway.
0: (laughs) I agree, and I know last week we were talking about Dahl meeting Admiral Janeway, but now I want Hollow Janeway to meet Admiral Janeway. Her big sister, in a sense. Oh
1: yeah. Her role model. Precious. The Janeway is all of our role model, so. Yeah, that
0: makes sense. Even when she's blowing up the ship. Sometimes, especially when she's blowing up the <laughs> ship. When do you think Hollow Janeway exactly. is going to introduce the kids to the self-destruct?
1: Hopefully not soon. <laughs> and and hopefully it's uh, not actually when they're trying to blow up the ship, but I guess <laughs> they, you know, exercise. A lesson.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that we haven't seen the Protostars transporters in use yet, because that was the method I expected them to use to save Gwyn.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So that's funny, too, because we obviously know what transporters are. And I do think that someone new to... Like, Again, this is for children, and so the children would not necessarily know what a transporter is. Someone who's never watched Star Trek, transporters are such a, like, they're beyond Star Trek, sort of like red shirts, or or he's dead Jim, there are certain things that have (laughs)
0: crept into the mainstream. But also they're not really part of other science fiction. The transporter is not something you would have seen Mm. if you watched Star Wars or anything else. Right, yes, true. uh, I wonder if they're withholding that, but I also noticed that our Diviner beamed down to the planet, so who knows? We have months to wonder. It's going to keep me up at <laughs> night. Yeah, I will say, you know, just
1: another thing about the animation, the Diviner was strangely beautiful. Oh, I know. When it was really him, there were some close-ups and it mm-hmm. was, it's like they, they painted and i know it's like digital animation whatever but i'm gonna say painted they Mm. painted him in the same brush strokes as they paint doll i'm used to the villains and the adults to not have the same integrity of of animation like to to not be as important in these shows and he was still very pretty
0: and he is nice. beautiful and elfin in the same way that Gwyn is, which I think yeah. is so interesting. And he also, also looks a little bit like John Noble. I feel like if you took <laughs> John Noble 20 years ago and put him in that makeup, mm. y- you could have the Diviner. So it's just a really beautiful piece of design. Yeah. So I want to talk about the relationships between everyone. But first I just mm. want to talk about the mystery of the Protostar's engine and Zero's alleged obsession with it. <laughs> and I say alleged because when I'm obsessed with something like Star Trek, everyone hears about it. Whereas we haven't really heard that much about the, the mysterious third engine from, from Zero.
1: In my notes, I didn't even mention Zero or, mm. or the obsession because it was not... It didn't leap out as, no. as super important to me. And I think that's because, I think that's the same reason. It was a lot of telling and not showing. Yeah, and it's
0: the first time this show has really done that.
1: But what I took it to mean, and again, this is just me explaining things away that don't make sense, was that that's why she was interested in, Doll, in getting Dahl to get the ship out in the first place. Like, that was evidence of the obsession. But that's not in the show. That's just what I made up. <laughs> In order for it to not bother me.
0: Yeah. I find it fascinating that you often call Zero she and... I know, I'm so bad. No, but you've never misgendered a Adira that way. So it's something about
1: it's Zero...
0: It's... Yeah, and it's Zero's being non-corporeal. It's interesting to me that you're assigning a gender to someone without a body. Yeah, it, it is weird. <laughs>
1: I do that to like droids, you know? Mm. I will decide their gender,
0: which also, like, they don't have gender, they're No, no but, okay, the first time my Kong's best friend right. saw The Force Awakens, and she was not a Star Wars fan, but the first time she saw BB-8, she was like, who is she? I love her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. BB-8 has strong she. Uh. <laughs> BB-8 gives me she-they vibes, but... Yeah, I, I just find this interesting and I thought I would flag it for <laughs> Another t-shirt four. I
1: want. BB-8 <laughs> gives me she-they vibes. That's perfect.
0: One day. One day. <laughs> so tell me your feelings about Gwyn and Dahl and their conversation <laughs> under the stars.
1: Okay, so that scene was perfect. Apparently I'm going to compare this show to Star Wars Rebels every episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was another very Star Wars Rebels kind of scene where it was two characters who've separated themselves from the rest of the characters who are going to have like a chat about feelings Mm. that happens many times in Star Wars Rebels usually between romantic or proto-romantic leads yes but also like between Ezra and Leia in that one episode that Leia's in yeah It, it gave me a lot of that vibe Where it's like two people who are from very different backgrounds, but also the same background. The the story beats are different, but the feelings are the same. And so I think that Gwyn and Dahl have that commonality. Uh, And the other thing I want to say about this scene is that there was not enough kissing in it.
0: I was thinking that I could really like them as a couple, but first I need to see them become friends and... This is sort of the start of that to have a real friendship between equals not between a slave and his owner's daughter.
1: I guess that's fair.
0: I'm shipping it. I'm just shipping it differently.
1: There is also not enough kissing in discovery. No. So I was disappointed in
0: both in both of them. <laughs> Look, we've got 2 minutes 30 before our timer goes off and we have to talk about discovery. So I wanna flag how Rock knows that people are scared of her because she's big and she's a rock. And And she said like what we were saying that little
1: cute little animals weren't afraid of her and wanted to touch her and loved her and give her Mm. what she wanted. Yeah. Very sad. But she was carrying Murph around, like, on her shoulders the entire episode. So As much as she was saying that, it was also like, you've got Murph. Murph is, at this point, the same as those creatures. Because we don't know what they are. They have no discernible characteristics of any of the things that we... Like, like, Murph doesn't have a gender. Murph doesn't have an age. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Murph is... I have no idea what Murph is. My note here is, is Murph a pet? Because I cannot tell if we're supposed to consider Murph part of the crew or... A A person, I you know their dog. Like I, I don't know what I don't. I cannot tell what Murph is supposed to be. But
0: I'm prepared to say pet at this stage. But I also think that hugging Murph and putting Murph on your shoulders is a different tactile sensation to a soft, cuddly, fluffy animal. Uh, Murph looks wet. Yeah, I feel like Murph would have. Slime. Yeah, what yeah. The... There are scenes where Murph has left a trail like a snail. Like a snail, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we want Murph slime. We love Murph, but slime and a cat are very different things. Let's add Rock Talk to the list of characters who need a cat. Definitely. Rock Talk needs a cat. Yeah. Or even a holographic goldfish. <sighs> Just give this child a pet. A different pet. Another pet. A second pet. More pets. A pet that's
1: just for her. Yes. And isn't a weird creature that was also imprisoned with her that we don't know anything about. And could be like, Murph could be the smartest one there. Murph right. could be like 3,000 years old and have an IQ of 500. And we
0: don't know. I bet Holo Janeway has some really good recipes for holographic doggos in her databases. Yes! Oh,
1: we should definitely have a holographic doggo. Yes, Perfect. a nice Irish
0: setter. Our timer has gone off. Let's talk about Discovery. All
1: right, okay.
0: We are cooking with gas. <laughs> <laughs> so, I really enjoyed this episode i thought it was fun i thought it was devastating i thought it was a really solid star trekky rescue mission that serves as the opening to the bigger story Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. what i'm about to say is not a complaint about the teaser because i enjoyed it very much i thought it was a lot of fun i thought it was easily as funny as bits of lower decks and reminded Mm -hmm. me a lot of the last two star trek movies opening scenes but mm-hmm. I think Captain Michael is better at diplomacy than we see here. Like, I think the first contact specialist of season one would have handled this situation with the butterfly people better.
1: Yeah, it was vi- like, okay, so you said that it reminded you a lot of what I'm going to assume is Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond. Yes, that's what I meant. And particularly Into Darkness, where we don't actually see what happened. Yeah, like How Kirk screwed up. No, no. And we no. just see the aftermath. The aftermaths are identical.
0: Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I That's
1: not a problem, but it forces me as someone who has seen both to put Michael into the Kirk role in a mm-hmm. way that she hadn't been
0: no before owl. no and i thought we got really great character stuff in that scene we basically saw her whole relationship with book right there and mm. i love that they set up a violence problem and solve it with science but yeah it just it didn't feel like michael it felt like jim kirk and maybe that is fitting for an episode ostensibly about michael's inability to face the no-win scenario and
1: then the whole rest of the episode, it, you know,
0: yeah. played that out.
1: She was definitely in the Jim Kirk role. And I love Jim Kirk in those movies. And I think that's a cool idea to mm-hmm. have the same story beats in Michael Burnham, who is Spock's sister, who is constantly a uh, second guest by the people in authority above her. Mm-hmm. On one hand, I like it. Because it's an interesting commentary on society, but based on the reactions that I've seen online, it isn't coming across that way. It's coming
0: across as, who does this Michael lady think she is? It's either, who does this woman think she is? Or, why is yet another white person or light-colored person complaining that she's unqualified when she's proven herself over and over again?
1: Which is 100% my reaction. And I really like President Rillick. I really yes. like that uh, the idea of her character. I really like the portrayal. And I even like her storyline. I like her in that role with Michael. Yes. Particularly when she was calling her out for it, like She brought up the psychological profile. Now, I have a lot of problems with Starfleet's mm-hmm. psychological profiling. But I'm just going to set that aside for now. <laughs> and say that I like the idea of President Rillick saying, you haven't dealt with your childhood trauma
0: yet. yeah, yeah, And you've
1: just been re-traumatized like 400 times since then. So maybe you should deal with it so that that stops happening. I like that as a story point, but I really do not like her calling out Michael for all this behavior. It is literally the exact same thing that happened last season and the season before and the season before. I am done with this. Yeah. We are in season four. This character should have the respect of the storyline.
0: Like Exactly. We- <laughs> Can we please move on from this? The only change that I think we're seeing is Michael is not touched by this. Michael knows her worth and she knows her strengths. And I also think she knows her weaknesses. And so Rilix doubt is not devastating the way it may have once been in the past and i also think it's different because it is coming from relic's own insecurities about her own capacity to lead and i think that's interesting but i think that's an interesting story that we didn't need to tell in this exact way and as much as i enjoy michael as jim kirk Michael Burnham is Michael Burnham no one was going hey you know what we really need we need to see Ben Sisko being James Kirk we really need to see Jean-Luc Picard being James Kirk and Mm -hmm. I know Janeway and Archer both have a lot of Kirk in them and Archer is name checked and his theme is seen in this episode but Mm -hmm. they are the past Michael is the present and the future and she can build a new path Let Burnham be Burnham. Let Burnham be Burnham. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you'll forgive me for getting all West Wing up in the place, but we have a president here, so I'm all excited. Yeah. Also, this is the week that Marvel announced that the next Captain America movie would be about Sam proving he's worthy of the shield. And... (laughs) I didn't watch most of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There was a series about that. Yeah, and so why do our black heroes have to prove themselves over and over again when our white heroes just turn up and the government gives them a starship or a super serum and sends them on their way? There's an answer for that. It's racism. But it's racism. There's also
1: an answer in that it's the fans' racism in the fan outcry every single time anything happens, people you know, Say this stuff. I don't think that the Discovery writers pay attention to the fans or write to the fans, but no. you can't ignore it. It's a part of what is being said about your series. And yeah. so regardless of their intentions, they are creating the new season within that atmosphere. Yes. And so it does get reflected, even if they're like outright trying to do the opposite it still influences what's happening.
0: That's the thing. This is still a majority white writer's room. And with the best will in the world, we are still steeped in a white supremacist society. And without other voices in the room, we're going to keep telling these stories. And so you're going to make Michael Burnham into
1: Jim Kirk and think it's good. Yes. <laughs> and think it's,
0: it's the progressive thing to do. And we were talking, oh, I can't remember how recently it was. It might have been in regards to Lower Decks, but the fact that women of color can get the Jim Kirk story. Oh, we were talking about it in regards to Dahl. But giving these characters those opportunities, that's great. But they don't have to actually follow the Kirk playbook. Yes, there's a difference between getting the
1: story in a plot line and mimicking the character.
0: Yeah, yeah. I will say that other than... The opening scene and the presence of book makes it less kirky than normal because when would kirk ever take his boyfriend unless it's spock on a mission uh,
1: uh excuse me dr mccoy was on the planet at the beginning of into darkness what was what i talking okay about?
0: i am completely wrong <laughs> kirk would always take his boyfriend or boyfriends on a mission yeah <laughs> but other than that the episode did feel very very michael and it was a great michael story aside from her proving herself again But again, I think, like Adira says, Michael is so confident now. Maybe even Mm overconfident in her approach to the butterfly people. Because, honey, you don't use idioms when you're speaking to unfamiliar. Eh. Season one, Michael would never. But. This is the first episode,
1: so we don't don't know what's happening. And we don't know where we're going. And it was sort of like, uh, this is... I mean, this is like Michael 3.0, and I'm interested in Michael 3.0. I think that last season was like Michael 2.5, mm, like yes, it was yes. Michael 2.0 but in a new place, and now it's Michael 3.0. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Speaking of using idioms, there is mine, <laughs> but... Well, also I think that the teaser gave us a look at how Michael and Book were during the year she were, was a courier. Exactly. And yes. that's the pattern that she's following instead of her extremely by-the-book Starfleet first contact training, which I think mm-hmm, would have been mm-hmm. more appropriate in this situation. But I assume that there were other contacts with former Federation worlds that needed that looser approach, and sometimes you misread it and you have a happy ending anyway because you're thinking on your feet.
1: I just want to say that in my second viewing, I laughed for a embarrassing amount of time over... The monarch pun. Oh,
0: no! And
1: I totally missed it the first time. No, I I didn't think about it. I died
0: the second time. It was really, very, very funny. I was like, Do you guys know what cats do to butterflies? It's not pretty. Grudge will eat you. Someone
1: said that Murph would eat Grogu. And I was like, Yeah, probably. But also, Grogu would definitely eat Murph.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just that all around. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's eating everyone. It's very disturbing. You asked down below, I noticed who, what the alien that Michael smiled at in the halls. And I've seen yeah. the theory that it's a hyper-evolved triple. Because at their rate of reproduction, they evolve really fast. And so now they're ambulatory. And so while we're on the subject of animals eating animals and so forth.
1: <laughs> triples. I mean, possibly. When I saw the episode, both times, I thought mm. it was a triple, but then I saw people talking about it as a Horta online, and I was like, really? I wondered so. about that,
0: but it's too small. The theory was that it was a like cadet-aged Horta. Oh, I hope Diane Duane has heard this and she's happy.
1: I think it was actually from her that I saw this theory. Oh, oh, good, so. good. So, yes
0: and i'm sure sooner or later someone will actually give us the official word but i'm trying not to let on to the official paramount affiliated accounts that i'm watching their show
1: (sighs) (laughs) but it's also like what do they want us to do we have it like literally in our about our show and it says that we're weekly and do these episode recaps when there are new episodes Mm -hmm. so you can just tell them they can do one of two things they can give you access Mm -hmm. in Australia, or they can give you, uh, you know, uh,
0: what are they called, like, screeners? Freebies. Yeah.
1: Screeners. Or they can give you screeners. There's two options,
0: Paramount. And frankly, if the greatest gen guys can't get screeners, then no one is giving me anything. (laughs) And actually they're the ones that I feel bad for because a lot of the big podcasts and the podcasts that earn income are going to lose a Mm. big chunk of listeners until next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're not big and we don't have an income, we don't make any money.
0: No, we pay
1: to do this. I would say at least half of our audience is international. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> that's why we have to destroy capitalism.
0: In So inclusion. that we can
1: all do our fun little side projects and yeah. not worry about these
0: things. Yep. Anyways, can we talk about how Book is Princess Leia now? He was a Disney princess last year and his planet Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. got blown up. And I actually said to my flatmates, we were watching, oh no, Alderaan. And then it cut to the screen and it was Alderaan. He was extremely Alderaan the entire time. But then,
1: so again, I watched it the second time before I wrote my notes. And so the first time they have Book's brother and nephew. yes. And so I was like, oh, yay. Like, I'm literally the only person who cares about his brother. But this is just for me. I feel so happy. But then oh, they got no. to, like, the scene of them with the tree. And they were like, this tree has been here for millions of years. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I immediately knew they were going to get destroyed. <laughs> I was. It was like, that's it. Chaim and his cute little kid are not going to make it out of here alive. And I was... Pretty upset about it. And I think that again, this is what I mean when I say that I felt emotionally manipulated. The yeah. fact that I knew from that moment what was going to happen. And I was like, why should I be paying attention to this cute little kid if he's just gonna mm. die
0: horribly within half an hour? When the camera followed the kid and the light turned golden and there was a bit of slow-mo, I was like, wow, I almost think they're going to kill him. But no, Discovery is playing it so safe these days. They're not going to kill a child. Yeah. Once again. I was wrong.
1: I like how you were like, "They're definitely not going to kill this kid," and I was like, "Oh no, the kid is dead."
0: Yeah, well, I sort of missed the explanation of what happened to the planet. Their moon was knocked out of orbit. Is that? I didn't
1: even know there was an explanation for what happened to the planet. I thought that that was the anomaly that's going yeah, that we're going to yeah. learn about
0: next week. I thought it was just an anomaly. <laughs> I think because the anomaly is gravitational it did something to the orbit of Quajon or its moon or both and then the planet could no longer sustain life and was being pulled apart because it's out of orbit or whatever. So if Dr. Aaron Mack can give a better explanation, that would be great because I I, I can't watch a horror movie but give me some kind of unspeakable stellar phenomenon and I am there. This ties in nicely with my childhood terror of black holes. I'm not interested in the anomaly as such, but I'm interested in how it will affect people and planets and oh, yeah I only
1: care about how it will affect people.
0: Again, I didn't know there was a reason, I didn't, know
1: they, I didn't know they said a reason, because that is unnecessary to my interests. They could have had a whole scene about it mm. and I would forget it immediately <laughs> having watched it, because I don't care.
0: I was distracted by going, oh my god, they actually killed the child, to listen killed to what Owo was saying. <laughs> Speaking of killing people, you have this note here, do we need to learn the new guy's name, or is he a red shirt? His name is Lieutenant Christopher, and I am 100% certain he's been brought in so they can kill a bridge officer without killing anyone we actually know and care about.
1: Exactly like Ariam. And fake Ariam,
0: yeah. Nielsen.
1: So, uh, I I agree with you, because that's another. He's introduced, and I was like, yeah, I don't need to care about it, because he is a... He's a dead man. That is a dead man walking on the bridge crew. It's blatant at this Mm -hmm. point and I don't know what to do or say about that because
0: it's just sort of the way it is. I I don't know. At this point I wish they would kill Kayla except then I would have to sit through scenes of people being sad that Kayla is gone and the more focus we get on her the less I like her. She is my least favorite character in this show. And that Here includes we the terrible people like Lorca. So I want to say, I do want to get back to Princess Leia. Yes, and I'm
1: sorry that I got you off this important topic. <laughs> but first, because I do also want to talk about the bridge crew. Uh, the mm. bridge crew were much more prominent in this yes. episode, which is fine. I've decided to have my peace with mm. it or whatever. But in terms of killing off someone that you care about versus killing off someone that they bring on to kill off, not only did they do that with Arium and fake Arium. But they also only made you care about Arium at all in her final episode. Yeah. And they did it again with nan. Like we're gonna we're gonna give you the backstory of this character and then we're going immediately gonna get rid of that character. I'm on the record saying I don't like either of those things, <laughs> that, that it was mm-hmm. the bad way to do that. Consider
0: you know, in general, looking around social media and outside of our own bubble, there are still more people who are bummed that Admiral Cornwell died than Ariam. There are a few diehard Ariam fans, but she doesn't like her she Didn't death... make the impact. Yeah,
1: she yeah. She did not make the impact that they wanted her to. She was a mystery. She was an interesting background figure mm-hmm. that you wanted to know more about, and yeah. then. They got rid of her. And it didn't matter that you found out more about her while getting rid of her. Because what matters is you got rid of her.
0: But also, they still kept the actress so effectively. In a sense, it's like she never left. We just have Nilsen being this person who's in in the back. You feel about Nilsen (laughs) the way I feel about Kayla. But I think it's this, this thing where... This white woman with no personality is put in front of us, and we're told to care about her just because she's there and she's pretty and she's yes. white. Oh my god! I... I cannot handle. The more screen time that
1: Nielsen gets, the more I want to punch her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> like and. Nothing
0: against the actress again. I'm just amazed because I've never heard you have so much dislike for a character in my life. She doesn't have a character. She has
1: no personality whatsoever, and I loathe her.
0: No, look, this is fair. (laughs) Kayla has a personality. It's just that I don't like it, whereas Nielsen has nothing. She has
1: nothing. And she has, I have to, I'm going to like... Her wig in this episode...
0: It was so it was bad! so bad,
1: I can't handle it. Alderon was blown up, and <laughs> I wanted to be upset about that. And all I could think about was how bad her wig is. I do not understand how they can, in this same episode where, like, Tilly had great hair, Michael had great hair... Like, Saru had the best costume I've ever seen on the show, other than the Mirror Universe stuff.
0: Look, I said to my flatmate, don't judge me, but I really want Saru's coat. And she was like, no, (laughs) thanks.
1: Like, and yet, this wig, and why is she even wearing a wig? I was mad. I was mad about it. And so, like, (laughs) it just added to my ire about how much I never want to see
0: Nielsen again. (laughs) We did not see much of her at all in this episode, except for that one shot where her wig is destroying the pathos (laughs) of the destruction of Kweijon. And I do think it's because they knew that was a bad wig. Oh my goodness. Uh, I have notes to give later on Tilly's makeup, but I'm going to let you talk about Princess Leia. So... What I was saying like 20
1: minutes ago now is that after having seen it the first time and seeing his planet blow up, then when I was watching that first scene, the teaser scene with the butterflies mm-hmm. that we've discussed in depth, I was like, oh, wow, he's Princess Leia the entire time. Because he 100% was <gasps> being Princess Leia he to was. Michael's Han Solo the entire time. He was like, no that's a bad idea. Let's do the realistic, practical approach. And Michael was like, no. (laughs) We are doing the ridiculous approach, and you're gonna like it. And Book was like, I love you, so okay. And then even in their little goodbye scene, like, it was just the entire time. And then I was thinking about it, and we decided that he was a Disney princess, so he's been Princess Leia this entire time. Oh
0: my gosh. And I...
1: I kind of love that for
0: him. He He's even Force-sensitive. Yes! Like, absolutely, a Jedi could use the spore drive. He is definitely a Jedi. He's definitely
1: a Jedi, but, like, he left it. He left being a Jedi to be whatever the hell he is now. Mm. And, like, the scene where in that first scene where she says use your empathy yes. and he's like i just i can't just use my empathy like that is that was so han and leia i wanted to cry yeah. like, i was like this is post return of the jedi han and leia perfection and it just made me really happy
0: for the record this makes me really concerned about any children that michael and book might have but you're right you're right the parallels are so hilarious and i really hope someone draws them as leia and han and i think michael would look really cute in a little black vest and some pants with a strap down them anyway so yes i'm pretty sad about the destruction of quajon but also i think that we did need someone to lose something for this loss to mean anything i'm sad about his brother because i like I wanted to see him more and I wanted to know more about their family dynamics. I think we are going to learn more and sometime this season we're going to learn why Book left and why he's in some way estranged from his culture, why he changed his name tree. to Cleveland Booker. Yeah, yeah. These are all really interesting questions and in losing a home from which he is somewhat estranged, it's a little bit like Spock losing Vulcan in that There's probably not going to be a new Quajon, but he still has all of these unresolved feelings and now Discovery is his Mm -hmm. home. More than before. And it also it brings Book into
1: the Discovery bubble. The orphan family. Now he has lost his childhood and his upbringing and his Mm. path in the same way that they have. Yes, And they didn't do enough with that last season. And I feel like, like I think that's where Tilly is going. I think that Tilly's storyline is at least going to be partly about mm. how she had to give up everything to get here.
0: Yeah. Certainly when the president is thanking the crew for what they sacrificed in coming to the future, their reactions were so mixed that I feel like we're going to hear more about that. And I also loved Tilly's reaction to the pres- the presence of the, pre- the presence of the president on the bridge, because Tilly was like, "Oh, cool!" And yeah, her mother was a diplomat; she probably knew the Federation president. She is not anti-politician the way Michael, for some reason, is. Even though she was raised by Sarek, the ultimate politician.
1: This is my other moment of emotional manipulation. That because we know Michael and we don't know President Relic. Mm. The way that the story is presented, we're supposed to be on Michael's side and so we're supposed to distrust Relic before we get to know her at all. And that was weird. I did not understand why all of a sudden Michael doesn't trust the Federation president. Yeah. I don't understand where did that come from?
0: Because, again, she was raised by Sarek.
1: Right. It makes sense for han solo to distrust politicians Mm. even jim kirk michael burnham the michael burnham that we know like what about george joe i don't understand how now michael doesn't trust politicians it was very strange it did not make sense
0: i am going to headcanon that in her time as a courier she learned enough about federation politics of this era that she is wary of anyone who would put their hand up in this specific ring and i love president relic i messaged you before you watched the episode with spoiler bars to say that she reminds me of seska and kai win and you are the only person who is going to understand what a compliment that is (laughs) Is definitely a compliment. She's like Seska in that she can spot Michael's weakness and go for mm-hmm, it and mm-hmm. speak it out loud. And she's like Wien in that she's relentlessly political, but in this nice, soft-spoken way. And <laughs> she has this very rehearsed line about being the daughter of a freighter captain, but also this very upper-middle-class presentation. She really feels Ooh, that- complete as a character, after less than 50 minutes. Yeah,
1: yeah, but also, like, you know, and it might be because of that whole Seska-slash-Win vibe that I believe that she's telling the truth about her father's freighter, Captain Hood, and that's where she grew up, but it also, the way she said it, especially the second time, I was Mm. like, there is more to that story. (laughs) That's the beginning
0: of what this
1: has to do with this character, because we did not know enough. Like did Osira and her minions go after them? Like something Mm, happened mm, to these people that shaped the way that President Relic is. And that's interesting. I'm excited to learn more about her. I'm excited for her to be a foil for Michael. I like that. I just wish that it wasn't about Michael's readiness.
0: No, I agree. Like. And certainly I think because of the Seska and Wynne vibes and the questioning Michael, a lot of people are assuming she's going to be the quote-unquote villain of the season. I am prepared to keep an open mind until she actively does something villainous. And just as a warning, I'm probably going to love her anyway because I enjoy an antagonist whose sincere priorities just happen to be different from the captain of the show, and like Picard, Michael is at her best when she has some authority figure to argue with. Mm. Yes. Or like, any
1: captain in Starfleet that we have seen.
0: Yeah. We have a couple of minutes left. Do you want to have a quick feel about the Archer space dock and the Enterprise theme? I do.
1: As we all know, I'm like the biggest Jonathan Archer fan. Mm-hmm despite also believing that he is the worst person in the galaxy, <laughs> he is terrible and I love him. So space Off being named after him is adorable because it goes back to the beginnings of Starfleet and the beginnings of the Federation and that is yeah. like super cute. And it's also like, so it's my you know personal theory and headcanon that everything wrong with the Federation is because of Jonathan Archer.
0: I thought of that as the music played, and I was like, is this really the federation you guys want to rebuild?
1: Exactly. Again, this is like super realistic to me, that they were like, we are going to not, it's, it's, you know, like how the pandemic proved that JAWS could be done from home, and also that like, every conference in the world could be made accessible very easily. Yes. Like stuff like this, right? Yes. But then we quote unquote went back to normal and they were like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. We're no longer going to make anything accessible. We're going to go back to the way things were because of, I don't know, nostalgia factor or like safety factor or like some weird ideal that the way that it has been is better. Yep. And that's what it felt like. That's what I thought when I heard the Enterprise theme was... We're going back to the Archer Way, yeah. Instead of examining the the problems with it, like because we are more comfortable there, we are more comfortable staying in the Archer Way, and that is wrong-headed. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. the, is the bad choice, but it's also like poetic, and <laughs> I, you know, it's again, it's sort of like, is this a satire?
0: Do they or
1: know what this, they're doing? Like is it a is it a plot yeah, do they know what they're doing? Is it a plot point or is it they are also doing the same thing? <laughs> like yeah. I cannot decide. I do not know, but I'm gonna continue having my little headcans about it. And one hundred percent it made me happy. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I also like the fact that Voyager is the ship that they're going to like yes, We're gonna I make that a was new ship to send out and it's gonna be Voyager and I was like That is, like, great because it's Star Trek and it's also Earth slash America. That was a nice meta-commentary. Yeah.
0: (laughs) My final thought before we wrap up is that the new uniforms, I don't like them, but I understand from behind-the-scenes shots that Sonequa Martin-Green had just given birth and obviously not lost all her baby weight when they started filming, and I will have ugly uniforms for a season in exchange for an actress not having to drop a tremendous amount of weight in a few weeks that is fine mm-hmm. Tilly's look this season i hate it her eye makeup is awful and i don't understand what it is because it's it's it's, it's a lot of gold eyeshadow and a lot of tinted eyebrow gel and very little eyeliner or mascara, she just doesn't look good. And Mary Wiseman mm. is so beautiful and really needs very little to bring out her natural looks and I don't understand mm-hmm. why they've done this to her. I almost wonder if they have someone new in hair and makeup and that's why Tilly looks so bad and Nilsen's week is so bad. I think that that is
1: probable because they started filming during lockdown. Yeah. Like, this was one of the first shows to go back. And if you watch the credits, there's like an entire you know, Screen, like yeah, of COVID people.
0: Yeah. Uh, I also noticed that Senequa's braids, Michael's braids, didn't look as good as they did last year. So yeah, I'm prepared to go with new hair and makeup people mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. bad at their jobs and need to either get better or be replaced.
1: Right. But they could also have been like the only ones that they could get. So, I get it. <laughs> so, and it like, yeah, it was distracting, especially Nielsen's wig. I agree. Mm. Like, Michael's hair, when it was pulled in, when it was down, mm. there was something weird going on. Yeah. Um, when yeah. it was pulled, and I love her hair. Like, I love that look on Michael. It's like the anti Vulcan. Yes. And I just, I really like that. She, yeah. That, that choice for her style. So, I'm sort of like willing to let the issues go and also I'm glad that Nielsen has a terrible wig and that Tilly's hair is a little bit weird because then they're not just screwing up Michael they're not just screwing up the black lady uh, the woman of color yeah
0: yeah
1: like natural hair they're they're screwing up
0: everybody it's like okay Uh, at least everyone is in the same certainly Sonequa's makeup was amazing so they're not ruining everyone. I also noticed Awashikon's makeup, her eyeliner was not as well done as it was last year. So mm. yeah.
1: So something's going on. So my final comment um, before we, we wrap up, and it's a sentence, is that Saru was in this episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, I <laughs> don't care. All I care about is I want the outfit, <laughs> and they were all wearing it. Everyone in Kaminar had an awesome jacket yes. that I totally want, but I did not need any of that. None I'm... of that was important to the story, and it really felt like Dyke Jones is still in this show, and he's definitely going to come back and be in Starfleet mm. again. So we have to like start that, and we have to like tell that story. And I was like, no, you don't. You could you could literally just have him show up next next mm. uh, week and be like. I decided to come back because it's been six months and everyone's happy. Like, no uh, yeah. offense to the, the guy who played, again, whatever his name is. This this is Sukal. how much I care. Sukal. Like, No offense to, to, to the actor who played Sukal. It was a very nice line reading of his, like, you should go do mm. what you want. But it felt similar to Michael... Storyline being the same—that was Suri's storyline, literally pre-series. Yeah, and I don't care. <laughs> I have moved on.
0: I enjoyed those scenes because I thought the set was very pretty, and I loved that the, I guess the Kamina meeting place is underwater or something. I thought that was really beautiful. I loved the costumes, and I enjoyed seeing how Kamina has evolved. The problem is that they really broke up the tension of the story, and. I don't know if they could yeah. have been held back until next week because I assume soon the wave will hit yeah. Kamina, but it just didn't quite mesh with everything else, even though I enjoyed them for what they were. Oh, man, you think that the wave's going to hit Kamina? I mean, I hope not in a destructive way. I just think no planet is safe except probably Earth. Cut to next week where they totally destroy Earth because I am consistently wrong. I'm
1: sad now. I don't want it to, like, but it's like, it's weird. It's like, I don't care about these people. I also don't want them to be destroyed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's, yeah, you're right. Uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with those scenes. Again, some of the acting and even some of the, lot, like, writing, it was mm, was really mm. lovely. It was really, and it was very pretty. So, yes. Alright. Yes. I can wrap up now.
0: Yay! <laughs>
1: I'm sorry if I went over the...
0: No, no, we, we both did, and yeah, okay. a lot of it will be easy to trim. Okay, just don't, don't cut out Book being the perfect Princess Leia. Oh, no, 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 I'm very never. proud of that. It's the truest <laughs> thing you've ever said.
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening to AntiMatterPod. Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr, all at AntimatterPod. And you can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. In just 10-ish weeks, we will be recording our 100th episode and giving away free stuff for our audience. So get those reviews in now. I'm going to start posting pictures of what we'll be giving away to our twitter yes. and again that's at anti join us next week when we will be discussing the next episode of star trek discovery anomaly which inexplicably comes out on thanksgiving so we may if things go well have
0: Annika's brother my brother Yay. on to discuss it with us so if my brother is having a break from star trek can i borrow your brother as my trek bro Yes. Thank you. Yes, you can 100% be a part of our little family. BRB, packing for Thanksgiving.